I'm going to begin with a brief story from an unknown source this morning, which goes like this. Long ago, there ruled in Persia a wise and a good king. He loved his people. He wanted to know how they lived. He wanted to know about their hardships. Often, he dressed in the clothes of a working man or a beggar and went to the homes of the poor. No one whom he visited thought that he was their ruler. One time, he visited a very poor man who lived in a cellar. He ate the coarse food the poor man ate. He spoke cheerful, kind words to him, and then he left. Later, he visited the poor man again and disclosed his identity by saying, I am your king. The king thought the man would surely ask for some gift or favor, but he didn't. Instead, he said, You left your palace and your glory to visit me in this dark and dreary place? You ate the coarse food I ate? You brought gladness to my heart. To others, you have given your riches. To me, you have given yourself. The Christmas season should be a reminder to you and to me, to each of us, that this is what Jesus has done for us. Yes? That Jesus has given us himself. Jesus left the splendor of heaven to come to earth to live among men in, if we were there to observe them, would have said these were extremely humble circumstances. We know they are from the scriptures, but if we had been able to be there, we'd realize those were very humble circumstances. And Jesus gave us something far greater than, than material wealth, something far greater than material riches. He gave us himself. And he died on the cross for our sins. He lived on this earth in very humble conditions, very humble circumstances. Not only did he come in humble circumstances, but he lived that way. And he certainly can identify with our earthly struggles because he knows what it's like to live on this earth in human flesh. Think of it, God living on earth, putting on human flesh, living among us. How truly amazing that is. And it's amazing to think that he would come as a servant and give his life for us, but that is exactly what he did. Today I want you to turn with me to the second chapter of Luke where we're going to take a closer look at the circumstances surrounding our Savior's birth. I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 2 and verses 1 through 7. And as this Christmas season comes to a close, let's remember to open this wonderful gift that God has given us, this wonderful gift of love through Christ that God has given us. And let's keep opening it every day of our lives. And let's keep being surprised and amazed by this wonderful gift of love through Christ that God has given us. And with uh, this scripture text before us, let's, let's seek to use this text to help us to be reminded afresh that we might never get used to this wonderful gift that God has given us through Jesus Christ. Where it says in Luke chapter 2, In the first seven verses, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lied him, uh, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now in those first four verses, those opening four verses of our text this morning, those place us right in the middle of a very chaotic time in history. There had been a decree that had been issued, an imperial edict had been issued. The decree had gone out. All the known world living under Rome's governance was to be registered in their own towns for the purpose of taxation. And since everyone had to return to his hometown to register for the census, this put Joseph and his betrothed, Mary, on the road from Nazareth to the little town called Bethlehem. Joseph also belonged to the house and line of David, so he had to go to Bethlehem to be registered. Now, it may not seem like an important point in passing, but it really is a significant thing that a carpenter from Nazareth finds himself in Bethlehem with his betrothed wife, who was with child. In fact, we hear this from the Old Testament passage of Micah 5.2, where it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now that is a prophecy which speaks of the Messiah. It is a prophecy which speaks of Jesus Christ. Now, we know that David was also a ruler over Israel from the town of Bethlehem, but Micah 5.2 isn't speaking about David because this prophecy was written several hundred years after David lived. Also, there's this phrase in the text that says, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. That indicates that this ruler would be someone from the far distant past who would be in the future ruling over Israel. And in fact, the wording here points to eternity. It talks about a time that's eternal. And commentators suggest that there is strong evidence in this verse that suggests that Micah was expecting a supernatural figure. And of course, we know as God's son, Jesus is an eternal being. He has no beginning, no end. So the Lord Jesus Christ easily fulfills that prophecy as one who was from of old, from ancient days, and who will be ruler over Israel. Now today we rejoice in the fact that part of that prophecy of Micah has already been fulfilled, right? We rejoice in the fact that Jesus came out of Bethlehem just as Micah said he would. But part of that prophecy is still in the future, isn't it? We read that passage and we think, but part of that prophecy isn't fulfilled yet. He has yet to rule over Israel. You see, the first time Jesus came, the first time he came as a baby, he came to earth and he didn't come to rule. 
He came to redeem. He came to be a sacrifice. He came to be a savior. There is going to be a day when he comes to rule over Israel. And he will come again and establish his earthly kingdom and he will reign over the earth. In fact, that is one reason that so many missed his coming the first time. They were expecting an earthly king. They were expecting someone to come and rule and reign. Of course, Jesus in his first coming to earth came as a servant. And we know as we read the accounts in the New Testament and we're reminded again and again in God's word that Jesus came to be a sacrifice for our sins. And though many were expecting a king, what they got instead was a servant. Jesus, in his first coming to earth, came as a servant to die a cruel death on the cross so that he might redeem man from his sinful condition. He didn't come the first time to rule. He didn't come the first time to reign. He came then to be a sacrifice. And that should overwhelm us with joy that God saw fit to send his son, not the first time to rule, but the first time to be a sacrifice. A sacrifice for our sins. But again, the prophet Micah foretold of one who would one day rule over Israel, who would become over over Israel, a ruler from from Bethlehem. And here in Luke 2, we have a young couple from the town of Nazareth on the way to Bethlehem, and Mary is expecting a baby, but not any baby. (laughs) This is a very special baby. Both of them know this. Both of them have been told this is a very special baby. This, in fact, is the Son of God. This is the one who has been promised. This is the Messiah the people of Israel have been expecting. Prophecies have been given foretelling his birth. And one of those prophecies, of course, is Micah's foretelling that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And now we learn, you look at verses 5 and 6, Joseph had taken Mary with him, but it was the ninth month of her pregnancy. Not really a convenient time for her to travel, I don't think. <laughs> Ladies, right? Not a convenient time to travel if you're, if you're in the ninth month of your pregnancy. But while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for this very special baby to be born. Verse 6 says it this way, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, we all know that babies seem to have their own timetable, yes? <laughs> Even after they're born, sometimes they have their own timetable. Now, you think about the timing of a baby coming, and it doesn't always come at the most convenient time. Some of our children, of course, came in the wee hours of the morning, not exactly on on the timeline that I was hoping for, you know, like at you know, 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning, give us time to get up and go. That wasn't exactly my preference, but then babies have a way of coming when they're good and ready, right? Not even bothering to check in to see if it's going to fit into your schedule. But, again, this baby is different. Think of it. Yes, Joseph and Mary are far from home. They're in Bethlehem. There's no room for them in the inn. But the baby comes at the time that was appropriate, the time that God appointed, in fact. The time came for her to give birth. The baby, Jesus, was born at just the right time. 
at just the time God had appointed. God had planned to send his son at the very moment in history that he intended to send that baby, and the baby came when God intended for that baby to come. When we go and look at Galatians 4.4, we find this passage which reminds us of this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, Remember at Christmas time the sovereignty of God, will you? Be reminded at Christmas time that God is in control. You look at these various events and you might think, what in the world is going on? How in the world could all this happen? It could happen because God ordained it to happen. Because God scheduled it. God made it happen. When the fullness of time had come, says Galatians 4, 4, God sent his son. And we say, praise God. In other words, God sent Jesus at the very moment in time that he intended. Don't ever forget that. As Christmas fades in the rearview mirror of 2014, remember that God is in control. Remember that God sent his son at the very moment in history he intended for his son to come. God sent Jesus at the very moment in time that he intended and that, that appointed time had come. The circumstances were right for Jesus to come to earth as a baby, and God orchestrated those events in history so that the conditions were right for sending his son. But note how God did this. You might think, well, if God's doing this, there's there's some incredible group of believing people who believe in God and honor God who are going to help God make this happen. Of course, you know the story, and that's not how it worked. How did God move a couple from Nazareth who were expecting his son to this small town of Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy? Incredibly, God used a Roman census. Just think of it. God used a worldly ruler and a worldly system to accomplish his own good purposes. Remember that in the day in which you live, (laughs) that God is bigger than any world ruler. Any world ruler on the scene now and any world ruler to come, God is in control. And God is not beyond or below or above using those world rulers and those pagan systems for his good purposes. You see, the Romans were taxing the people, and to help in their collection of taxes, they instituted this census to bring together the people into their their hometowns, their communities, to register all of these citizens. But God was using that Roman census to send this humble couple, Mary and Joseph, from Nazareth to the town of Bethlehem. And while they were there, the text tells us the time came. The time came for Mary to give birth to the child. Now, Caesar Augustus had actually issued this decree that this entire Roman world ought to be attacked. This this whole world system that was under the, the rule of the Romans should be registered so that they might collect taxes from them. Caesar Augustus, we would have looked at him and said, and we even look at the text and we think he's a pretty powerful guy. <laughs> he, must, he must be a powerful individual to be able to issue this decree that the entire Roman world should be taxed. You could say he was pretty powerful. He probably thought he was pretty powerful. 
He probably thought he was in charge, and many people would have agreed. But incredibly, God was using this pagan ruler to orchestrate history, to set up just the right conditions for the entrance of his son into the the world in which sinners need to be saved. People need to seek Christ as their sacrifice for their sins. Incredibly, God saw fit to use this pagan ruler and his pagan decrees and this world system to accomplish his incredibly gracious purposes. Mary and Joseph would find themselves in Bethlehem at the right time for the baby to be born in the city where it was prophesied he would be born. Clearly, the hand of God is in this. Believers ought to see this and say, clearly, the hand of God is in this. Clearly, the hand of God is at work. And those who pay attention can see the hand of God working throughout history. And those who pay attention can see the hand of God at work in their own lives. Amen? Think back to the Old Testament and to Moses. If you need an example from the Bible, and we often do, and that's why God puts them in the Bible, because we need these examples. Think back to an Old Testament example. Think of Moses. And think of how God orchestrated the events in his life to prepare him to to one day lead his people out of Egypt. How about another Old Testament example? Think of Joseph. There was Joseph who went through some terrible grief in his life, yes? Even at the hands of his own brothers. But one far greater than these jealous brothers was in control of it all. God's word tells us that God used those events in Joseph's life so that he could one day save the, the very evil brothers who sold him into slavery. And that is often how God chooses to work, isn't it? We look at the Old Testament, we look at the New Testament, we look at the events in history, we look at our own lives, and we realize God's hand is there. God is at work. And it's incredible that throughout the Word of God, we can see how God works in history to bring about His plans and His purposes. As the celebrations of Christmas fade, don't ever let that fade. Don't ever let that realization fade that God orchestrates the events of history. God orchestrates the events and and times and seasons and activities of my life to accomplish his purposes. We see it in Luke 2. Once again, God using history to bring about the birth of his son in a way that was consistent with the prophecies of old. God is carrying out his plan. And we see in verse 7 that these were very humble circumstances in which Christ came to earth as a baby where it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, a feeding trough, because there was no place for them in the end. When you realize that God is in control, don't, all, don't, don't forget that the, the that God saw fit to bring his son into such humble circumstances. What a contrast to the glory and splendor of heaven. Is it not a stark contrast? Think of the glory that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the glory and splendor of heaven which Christ came from. He left. Philippians 2 
verses 5 through 7, Paul reminds us there how Jesus, who was God, made himself nothing to come to earth in human form, giving us this glimpse of the incredible chasm that exists between the glory that he left and the humility that he entered. Have this mind among yourselves, writes Paul, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And we should praise God. We should praise God not only at Christmas, but we should praise God every day that Jesus emptied himself, came to earth, became a servant, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God orchestrated and used the events of history And the Lord Jesus humbled himself to come as a baby so that, and here's the the biggest news of all, so that sinners might be saved. God sends his son. His son humbles himself, sends him into these humbling circumstances, comes to serve, comes to be a sacrifice so that sinners might be saved. And the message for us The message of Christ, the message of the Christ of Christmas is that if God does this, if God does this, there's nothing God cannot do. If God sees fit to do this and he does it in this way, there is nothing that God cannot do. There is nothing that is too hard for God. Even as you think about today's troubles or tomorrow's challenges, those are not too hard for God. You might be overwhelmed with your own sinfulness. That's not too hard for God to overcome. Praise God. He answered that problem with his son. Today's problems are not a problem for God. Tomorrow's difficulties are not a problem for God. Your sins are not a problem for God. And to that we should say, Oh, come, let us adore him. Amen? Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we do praise you for Jesus Christ. Would you help us, Lord, to never get used to this wonderful, incredible, good news. The celebrations of Christmas are are quickly fading away. But God, I pray that you would help us to celebrate your son every day. Help us to be overwhelmed with your grace and your mercy as seen through the coming of Jesus Christ leaving the splendor of glory and glory of heaven to come and be born as a babe, to live as a man, to be a sacrifice for our sins. God, I pray, keep that good news fresh in our minds, ringing in our ears, overflowing from our hearts, living in us who who believe in your Son. And and God, I pray for, 
for anyone here today who has not trusted in Jesus Christ, Lord, help them to be overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came to be a sacrifice that they might be saved from their sins. And Lord, help us to live with this realization that there is nothing in our future, nothing in our present that is too hard for you. If you can order the events, if you can cause the plans of of sinful men to be used for your purposes, there is nothing out of your reach. And as seen in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you hold the power over sin and death and hell. And for that we praise you. And I pray that you would help us to worship you and honor you with our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.